You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about tabletop RPGs. This is one of those episodes that I've wanted to talk about for a while, but I wanted to make sure that I got the right people on. I definitely did that this time, but it turned out that with all the things that I wanted to talk about, one episode just wasn't going to cover it, and in fact, it looks like we're going to go for three. Now, unlike other episodes that have been broken up into multiple episodes, this isn't one where we're talking and I just kind of break it in the middle and then we come back and we do the next one. We actually did have discrete topics that we covered in this episode, and then there'll be another RPG episode sometime in the future that covers some other topics, and then a third one at another time that covers some other topics. So all the stuff is still out there, you know, like we're, we're going to talk about everything that I wanted to talk about. It's just not coming all at once, so I just wanted to explain that up front. The news over here, things are going pretty well. My new job still kind of kicking my butt a little bit, which is why we've missed a few weeks here and there, but things should be a lot more regular from here on. Things in my personal life have calmed down quite a bit, which is definitely a good thing. It gives me more time to work on the podcast. And as far as, like, what I'm watching right now, it's most of the same stuff, like the DC CW shows. Snowpiercer and Resident Alien have come back, which are both great shows that nobody but me is watching. I was really happy to find out that they were renewed last year, but I'm worried about them getting renewed this year because I can't find people to talk about those shows. Otherwise, we would have done episodes on them by now. I'm kind of hoping that by the time the shows end, Whether that's this year or another year, I'll be able to find somebody to talk about the whole show in its entirety. Like, if Snowpiercer lasts four seasons, then we'll have just to sit down and talk about all four seasons rather than doing season retrospectives like I do with a lot of the shows that I cover. So, we'll just see how that goes. We did finish The Expanse, which is an amazing series. Incredibly well written. I can't say enough great about that one. I'm definitely going to do an Expanse episode. We finished watching Continuum which was a very good time travel series. I do feel like it kind of wobbled a bit on the fourth season, but seeing as how the fourth season only had six episodes, it was probably one of those things where I wasn't watching it at the time, but I'm guessing that's one of those fan rescue kind of things because it did only have a few episodes for the final season. So it felt really rushed. It felt like the ending came kind of out of left field, although I kind of like how it ultimately ended. I feel like they didn't do the work that they needed to get there. So. Yeah, a, a little problematic, but I definitely like the journey on that one. I, I, I felt like that was pretty good. And we've also started the Book of Boba Fett, which I do understand the blowback that one's been getting based on just these first two episodes. I know a lot of people were complaining when the series started, even though yeah, I hadn't started it yet. 
and I'm hoping for payoff. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's a seven-episode season, so I'm going to wait until the end before I say this didn't work, because I kind of think they're just playing a long game. It's definitely a very different experience to The Mandalorian, but it ought to be. So we'll just see how it proceeds, and then we'll do an episode on that, and then you'll know what we think about it. But that's it for me talking about myself. Now we're going to go to the RPG episode already in progress. Let's meet our caster this week. Uh, so you know him as our resident Conan expert. He lives atop a movie theater like a supervillain, and that is my buddy, Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Hi, buddy. How are you doing? All right. How are you? I've got the world on a string, thanks. Well, that's not, good. Not really. Oh. I'm sitting on a rainbow, though. Uh, are you allowed to eat anything other than cauliflower? Jesus, no. <laughs> <laughs> This, I'm sorry. This, I was this, hoping I'd be like, that's positive at least. This you know, uh, this fizzy water uh, has caffeine in it, and uh, it's giving me a head rush because my body is has just become a, a broccoli and cauliflower processing plant. But I'm down almost a hundred pounds. And well, that's good. Lost thirty six inches in eleven months. So nice. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess the all cauliflower diet is something that I ought to look into because I can stand to lose some. It's not it's not all cauliflower, but the it's so restrictive in the vegetables that you can eat. Like every good vegetable is off the plate. And then all the fun mm. vegetables are kind of off the plate. And so what's left is eggplant, um, cauliflower. No, actually, I can't even have eggplant. Cauliflower, broccoli, spinach, and everything else that you wouldn't fit in a uh, bilge pump. It's just ridiculous so um so yeah i it, out of necessity i have to eat it but uh mm -hmm. i have developed stockholm syndrome in that i'm now sympathizing <laughs> you're starting to identify with the broccoli I am. you know you know a lot of people <laughs> cauliflower gets a bad rap you guys i mean really uh there's a lot of good things i could say about cauliflower uh you just don't understand cauliflower okay they make a lot of sense really when you when you, okay. when you break it down okay so uh anything anything good going on on your end mark anything you know, I, anything new and exciting it's actually fortuitous that we're doing this conversation because i just sent my uh my zine uh gobsmack to the uh to the printer uh nice which is a fifth edition zine that lets you use goblins in uh, your urban NPC fantasy campaigns and also as player characters. And so it's 64 pages of me talking about goblins and why D and D's goblins suck and why my goblins are better and all that good stuff. And so uh, uh, soon I will have to uh, enter the, the whole of Kickstarter fulfillment, uh, mm. which will be mostly me just stuffing envelopes and licking stamps for the next three weeks but but right now i'm in that sort of euphoric phase of of there's a book and it's coming and i'm so excited so yeah that's that part was great uh, it was good and i'm early too which is nice i'll, I'll be uh I, I was supposed to be fulfilling in september and i'll be a month early so yeah very nice yeah all right well cool deal it is great to have you back on the show mark always a pleasure to be here all right and next up he is one of my oldest friends. He is the GMer that taught me. I'm his Padawan, you might say, and that is my buddy Sean. Hey, everybody. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing good. How is everybody doing? Living it up. Doing okay. Yeah. 
Digging it, digging it, yeah. So, but yeah, no, no, no. Um, I'm doing pretty well. We're getting ready. Uh, we're recording this about a month before DragonCon. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, DragonCon is a, it's a beast. So, uh, you know, Laura and I, we uh, we have a booth there. We have a double booth. We mm-hmm. vend our pop cycle stuff. So we're we're loading up pop cycle left and right. So I'm taking precious time away from prepping for that to be here. And I was like, well, no, I mean, we're going to talk about role-playing games. I got to show up and, and talk about role-playing games, like seriously. Uh, and it's funny, you know, Mark mentioned the fact that he's working right now on a book. Um, Nathan, you know mm-hmm. that I'm actually like up to my like freaking neck right now um, doing my first supplement. Uh, I'm, I'm building a gigantic world. It's going to be like nine. If I, if I write them all, it'll be nine separate books that'll all mm-hmm. make one giant world because one thing I've always hated about role-playing games is they say, this is the world that you play with. And it's usually like a continent and a couple of islands. Right. And I'm like, well, what's, what's, what's the rest of the world look like? Well, you're telling me that it's all just desert wasteland. Like, you know, like George Lucas, you go to indoor, it's all forest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you go to Arrakis, it's all desert. Okay. Seriously. You know, so my idea was, well, what if like, there's a planet, you know, what if we make like a fully realized D and D world and, or, or a fantasy world? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you can apply it to whatever you want to. And every region has its own culture, has its own monomyth, has its own ways of appropriate, uh, uh, applying the, the, the tropes of role-playing games into it. So uh, I said, well, which one should I do first? And my friend Christina, who's Filipino, is like, I've never seen a lot of Asian-oriented stuff. And she knows that I have one that's called Anasari. And she was like, you should do Anasari. And I was like, all right. So Anasari is basically, uh, it's all about dragons and a world where Japanese, Chinese, Korean, and Filipino cultures are kind of like globbed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so people are, are enjoying it. And, uh, are you on my writing? Yes. Yes. No, I read, I read the one you sent out like a few months ago. I haven't read the one that you just sent out last night. Yeah. The one I just sent out last night. Yeah. That's basically the premise that'll be at the front of every one of those books. And I'm like, okay, either this is going to read great and everybody's going to get it, or it's going to read like garbage. I'm going to have to rewrite the whole thing. So that's okay. It's only 5,000 words. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited about it. So um, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, no. And of course, I mean, I have to bring up the fact that you know 20 odd years ago you were developing like a full system on your own I did, and, yeah. and we were kind of your beta testers on that yeah also. brave epic yeah that was the brave epic system because i uh way back in the day i'm sure we'll talk about this more later um i hated the dnd system i hated faco i hated AD&D. um i was like faco's the devil <laughs> Uh, and I just did not want to play it. Um, but also, and we'll talk about the horror story of my first experiences with D&D. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to stay away from it, but I wanted to play the fantasy genre. So I, I did this ad hoc system that was a little bit of White Wolf and a little bit of Artalsorian and my own little blend. And I kind of pulled it on into a mixer and then bleh, came out this thing called Brave Epic and uh, everybody murdered each other in like seven days. And it was pretty <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. It was still the best. It's the best gaming experience ever, though. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, anyways. Yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. We'll get to that. Yeah, no, no, no. Let's not. Yeah, let's not get into that right now. But, but yeah, no, Sean, it's great to have you back on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. And finally, it is uh, it is someone that I met through Sean's Pop Pop Con Con uh, yeah. convention that he did. Um, she is mm-hmm. our uh, resident uh, Wonder Woman cosplayer slash expert, and that is Kimmy. How are you doing, Kimmy? Hi, I'm doing really well. Um, 
Yeah, I've been on here talking about both Wonder Woman movies. Uh, well, I guess it was the second Wonder Woman yes. movie, but I spent a big chunk of that movie talking about, or that episode talking about the first Wonder Woman movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, I actually have a uh, shock at the, at the name of my game company. It's called Golden Lasso Games, um, where I design um, and make my own RPGs. Uh, in fact, our first Kickstarter happened in the pandemic year of 2020, and we are sending out our game. It's a car, it's a tarot based card game that um, is a world building tool that you use before you play any RPG. So you can play it before you play Vampire or D&D or anything like that. And it uses all the different suits to create different pieces. Um, it creates a map for your campaign, NPCs. It creates connections between the characters um, and it creates like dynamics between the world and the and the the party. So like, who? hey, your party screwed someone over. Who is that person? Are they still after you? Things like that. So basically mm-hmm. you p- play it and in like, you know, the 90 minutes you get all the stuff a GM would spend weeks prepping all by themselves, except the players then know it all already. So they can jump in like they've been playing in the world for months with tons of buy-in because they help create it all. Um, and it has really beautiful art by my friend, Samantha Terry. So it's really exciting. Um, and it's actually a full deck and they finally in COVID times got printed and are on their way to the being shipping at being shipped. So I'm very excited and relieved about that. Um, and yeah, I'm in the middle of playtesting my next game, which is super exciting, which is a um, called Starscape. It's a PBTA hack that is all about, you can, you can play Star Trek, you can play Firefly, you can play Farscape. Those are the three kind of menu choices of the game. And it's been being played just for about a year now and i'm super excited we're getting kind of close to sending out beta materials for people to try out hint hint nudge nudge and uh yeah that's all at (laughs) goldenlessogames.com and i also run the happy jacks rpg network of streams and podcasts that give advice about tabletop games a whole lot so i I do a lot of tabletop gaming i'm sorry i feel like i was a little bit of a a lot but (laughs) Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, mean, I talked about an entire party killing each other. So I mean, you're in good company. So you're fine. Yeah. So. so, uh so yeah. I mean, like that's that's a pretty good overview. But like, uh, you know, anything going on like in the last you know few weeks or so that's uh, been pretty exciting or anything like that? Oh, lots of playtesting. I think yeah. um, I'm sort of in the. I, I play D and D like once every four years to remember why I stopped playing D and D, and I'm currently in that phase right now where I'm like, yeah, I'll play a Curse of Strahd campaign. That'll be fun. And I'm like, why? I love my gaming group, and my my DM is fantastic, and I play a lot of other games with him, so he'll forgive me when I'm like, hey, I love you. D and D is fine. It's what it is. But um, yeah, but yeah, no, it's been super fun. Um, it's great to kind of. Uh, uh, start playing in person again, I think. In the last yeah. few weeks, my, my group has started doing that. We're still outside in my backyard, but it's just so nice to get that timing you you have. Like mm-hmm. playing online, there's like that weird Zoom delay. And then like, there's like those those looks you give your friend when someone else does something like, oh, did you did you clock that? Yeah, like, and it's just so great to have like those little those little moments back. And also my friends bring really good beer. So I always appreciate that. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, I as someone who like gets my, I'm like a like a D and D or a role playing camel, where it's yeah. like I have my big like four day long like session that I do once a year, right, and that's it. That's that. my gaming for the year. It's <laughs> often packed into a long weekend, yeah. you know. And so it's like I get it. Like the the energy you draw from having people in the room with you is something you cannot replicate over Zoom. It is yeah. like it is a whole experience. It is like it is like theater in some ways and of course we're gonna get into that like like you know but um but yeah yeah it's uh it's it's yeah it's it's definitely different when it's in person yeah uh, sorry about breaking you on that whole doing four days in a row right. thing that, 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 <laughs> that I just know like exactly in my head that... that just seems like the way it should be right because that's the <laughs> way i learned how to play uh... nathan's first few times role playing were basically my we would have these massive sessions where we would uh we called it the beach trip where my parents would say hey if you guys did good in school uh when we were in high school uh we'll give you like you know a week at uh my parents um had this uh trailer it's a big camper that's at the beach um and they're like you know go down there hang out with your friends you know have a good time we're like cool so i would basically invite a bunch of the guys um and it was funny because my parents were like what are you guys doing down there like we're, we're playing role-playing games and they're like <laughs> what you know they're, they're expecting us to go out and like get in trouble and literally we would sleep all day we'd wake up around the time the sun was setting and we play all night uh just you know the, these games that we'd come up with you know we did mecton z all this stuff and and uh, we play for five six days straight oh just, my god yeah, I mean, it was, you know, 12, 14 hour sessions, basically until we couldn't stay awake, fall asleep uh, as the sun was out and then wake back up the next evening. And then we just, but yeah, we were, we were completely upside down. The, the beach was not as consequential <laughs> as we could just get away from all other Except, I mean, it was important that we were at the beach because that's where medieval times was. So, I mean, we had well, to yes, do medieval, was the medieval times. times tradition. Yeah. Yes, yes, we had to go to medieval times. We had to sit in the green section that's because right. green. we were allowed to make noise. <laughs> Yeah, green would allow you to make noise, that's so we would right. we would make noise. Evil yes. green night, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, um, but yeah. <laughs> All right, we we're already digressing. We haven't even gotten through the introduction. So, Gibby, it is great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Glad to be back. All right, and so next up, you know, if you've been listening to the show, we have our five-minute controversy, and what that is is just a way for us to talk about something that's going on in the geekosphere, and you get a little bit of an insight into, you know, how we feel about things, and, you know, it lets us loosen up before we talk about our topic. Not that I think we need to be that loosened up <laughs> to talk about gaming. Yeah, I think we're good, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. So this week, I wanted to talk, because, you know, when this week, like, uh, I don't know, like three or four days ago, like, the news hit about the lawsuit that Scarlett Johansson has filed about the Black Widow movie. And I was like, oh my God, like this is a huge controversy. It's just dropped right in my lap. Um, but yeah, so she sued Disney for doing the combined streaming uh, theatrical release. Um, she says that it was a breach of her contract uh, and that, um, that uh, you know, that meant that she lost revenue that she would get because her contract was tied to ticket sales. And obviously those ticket sales were at least somewhat depressed by the fact it's released on Disney Plus also. Um, Disney has fired back. They've done some below the belt stuff like release how much money she's already made um, from it. Um, she's, they've also, they've alleged that everything that they did did comply with the contract. And obviously since nobody has access to the contract, we can't speak on that per se, but I'm just kind of curious cause I've seen people on Facebook arguing both ways about it. One is wham, 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 super rich woman whining about, you know, she didn't, you know, make another few million. And, you know, I've seen other people coming out and saying, look, this is like disrespect to an artist 
you know, uh, they're not being taken care of, they're not complying, you know, with what they should be doing. So I'm kind of curious how everybody falls on this. So um, let's start with you on this one, Sean. Oh my God. Okay. So um, I fall into the camp of, look, I get it. You know, somebody who's paid $20 million and then, you know, they're, they're not arguing for more money. That, that seems very much the, the very definition of here's my privilege and I want more. Um, but I tend to look at it at the fact that Hollywood has a long-standing tradition, and, and this is just in general with the studio system, to try to find a way to game as much of their income as possible so that way they don't have to pay out dividends. It's just always been that way. There have been so many cases over the decades about Hollywood trying to find a way of not paying out what is owed in a contract. And a lot of people are taking, you know, Johansson to task. They're like, well, she made $20 million. But people forget that, you know, about six, seven years ago, Robert Downey Jr. basically went to town on Disney and basically said, I'm not going to make any more, you know, appearances as Iron Man unless you pay me $20 million. You're going to pay me my rate. And if you don't, I'm going to walk. And they paid him. Nobody said boo about him putting his foot down and saying, pay me what I'm owed and what I feel I'm owed. They were like, no, we won't Robert Downey Jr. But yet Scarlett Johansson has already negotiated it. It's already on the paper. And then Disney's trying to do this thing where they're like, well, we're doing what we said we would, but nah, 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 look, she's already made 20 million. That, that's, that's just, it's bad form. And frankly, the way this trickles down towards other workers is the fact that if you can't keep companies honest about their contracts that they're signing, they have no reason to keep those contracts. Meaning that the people who are the staff and who are the people who are the, the DP and the, the guy who makes the sets, oh, well, you promised us the $50,000 bonus if it made X amount of dollars. Oh, well, half that money was actually through streaming. We don't owe that to you. And uh, frankly, this was going to happen no matter what. Uh, the director of the new Dune movie was saying he's going to sue because he's going to lose a huge amount of revenue because he put money into it um and, and this is one of those things where it's like somebody was going to take the shot because right now these companies realize hey i can put half of all of my 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 assets into streaming services and i know that that's going to be my money they can basically lock off half of their income and say well that wasn't through the box office but because it was released through the box office they're still meeting the standard and this has to be negotiated um now in future contracts if they write it and say this is only going to apply to box office not streaming and they reserve the right to do that fine but that's not how at least the way johansson's people are, are describing it um are, are, are how the contract is written hence pay her, her damn money and, and yeah i get it you know boo-hoo but i'm sorry if somebody makes a contract with me and then doesn't follow through with it i'm gonna be pissed you know so i'm 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 on team johansson on this one okay yeah kimmy yeah, kind of the same. I never thought I would say that because ScarJo is like so problematic and has made so many selfish decisions with roles and parts that she's taken that she probably wasn't entitled to. Um, right. But like, like, um, like Sean was saying, you know, Hollywood has a big problem right now with streaming services and paying everyone in the industry from the top down appropriately for streaming um, because right now they're not. There's a whole bunch of people who are getting. Uh, who've made shows in the past, who now those shows are on streaming, who are not getting uh, residuals like they mm -hmm. legally mm -hmm. should. Um, there's tons of people in tons of other departments who de who generally would be making a lot more money, except things that are for streaming, even though the companies are making just as much money, they're like super low rates. Um, so it's a, it's a big problem in the industry right now. Um, and <laughs> living in LA, there's a lot of my friends and my husband's in the industry. Like it's a big, the big thing everyone's trying to, to figure out how to handle. Um, and the problem is too, it's like Disney knew it was gonna do this for a really long time. 
Um, and for whatever reason, they chose to not do anything about it. They chose not to negotiate with, with ScarJo or her people. Um, like Warner Brothers, when they decided to put uh, Wonder Woman 1984 on streaming services, they went back to Gal Gadot and uh, Patty Jenkins and they paid them a big flat rate. Mm-hmm. So they came to an agreement and are like, hey, we're gonna give you a buttload of cash, here you go. And we're just gonna call it even on this thing because we're not sure how it's gonna work. So like Disney, is, has their act much more together than Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is a show of mergers right now behind the scenes, yeah. not even commenting on their movies. Right. Um, like it's a nightmare. If they can have their together enough to like think ahead and be like, oh, hey, we're switching things and streaming this movie. Like here's mm-hmm. an agreement, like Disney could have done it. And for whatever reason they chose not to, I don't know if they were like, hey, we can you know pay less with a legal battle than we would in like, actually paying what she's owed or whatever who knows um but yeah it's just they knew this was coming in for whatever reason they just didn't do anything about it and i do think like sean is saying like i do think if it had been like some famous actor i don't think it would have happened i think they were Mm -hmm. taking advantage of it Mm because she's a woman Mm, yeah and i definitely think there's some sexism going on there too i mean it really feels like there's some sexism going on there And, and the flip side of this is disney now is under the gun from every other studio to basically resolve this out of the court because god forbid this actually makes it to the court yeah the first thing that's going to happen is if the court rules in favor of ScarJo, that is now precedent that every other studio is going to ha- they don't yeah. want that yeah. they they want to stay away from that I- well the, th- the thing that i was thinking of i mean speaking of the sexism angle that like you know i thought about is you know, the, the thing we always hear, like, oh, it's a female-led superhero movie and it only made X number of dollars. And so it's like, look at all these Marvel movies that made so much money and here's Black Widow and it made this much money. And it's like, oh, see, people don't want, you know, female-led superhero movies. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's all sorts of circumstances around this that would right. artificially depress it. Mm-hmm. But I've wondered if that argument is coming down the line at some, you know, at some point. Um, but Mark, how do you feel about all this? Well, let me see if I understand this correctly. So Disney's being sued. It couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people. <laughs> I have said many times on this program that they are a great Satan. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in every conceivable sense of the word, but being, and not just because that they're the number one, uh, entity uh taking up a whole lot of oxygen and drawing up all the water right now but because they've always been that way Mm -hmm. and so um everything that that i want to echo everything that sean and kimmy both said um the industry operates under a veil of secrecy and they do not want anyone to know how the books are cooked and make no mistake mm. the books are cooked they're cooked every time and this is a thing that happens uh they have a, they have armies of accountants uh forensic and otherwise who can who can make anything on paper uh not make a lot of money you know mm-hmm. and so that's exactly why all those contracts get negotiated with upfront amounts uh, that are equal and you know and concurrent with what they think the, the film will really do because there's usually not a guarantee that they're going to get anything on the back end. Uh, it's I mean and it's and I and I say this as someone who just got a uh, a SAG check for eight dollars and eleven cents. Uh, <laughs> you know they'll pay out on stuff like that. But and, and at that point that that's all streaming right now. Mm. I'm getting paid uh, eight dollars and eleven cents for the streaming 
of boyhood, uh, you know, for, from for whoever's buying it or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, and, and these streaming services have not been negotiated the same way. Netflix, God bless them, has uh, made it very clear that they're not going to let anybody know how they calculate their money either. So, so it's the Wild West right now, and it's a, it's a cash grab. Everybody's moving to get what they can while they can, because eventually some of this is going to have to be clamped down on. And I think it could not, again, I'm, I'm glad she's sticking up for herself. I, you know, mm-hmm. she's been one of the foundational members of the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. uh, from the get-go. She's become one of the most um, reliable characters. She's been in seven uh, movies, uh, mm-hmm. eight, including now her own. You know, in a in in a in some capacity, uh, she's uh, considered a foundational member of their cinematic universe, and it's it's disrespectful and egregious and and headed to to to, to do this. Well, you know, we paid her what we what what we owe her. No, you really didn't. I guarantee you didn't. You didn't pay anybody what you owe them. And so this is, uh, yeah, I hope, I don't, I actually, you know, I know that the interest is going to be to try and settle out of court. I hope it goes. I do. Uh, There are, I guarantee you there's an army of antitrust uh, lawyers uh, who are right now uh, fapping, to uh, chapped hands waiting for their chance to like uncork because when this when this breaks if they can get it inside and 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 hit the two meter exhaust port they can blow up the death star uh but they got to get past the shield so i every everybody that takes a run at them uh, i wish them nothing but success and good fortune (laughs) and 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 i hope you get a skillion dollars from them because it'll only be a drop in their bucket, yeah. but it'll it'll make a difference for everybody else. Your metaphor uh, was was quite interesting there, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> it was on target. Um, yeah, it was on target. <laughs> All right, but yeah, so like from my standpoint, it's like you know, because one of the things that people are bringing up, and I understand why they're bringing it up, because sort of initial reaction is what she didn't think. Like like, did she just think they should just sit on the movie forever until COVID is completely over? But I think what we've kind of addressed that in the conversation, there's nothing to say that they couldn't have renegotiated with her. And in fact, the fact that DC has already made the precedent or Warner has made the precedent of doing that when they started releasing both in streaming and theatrical at the same time, you know, uh, kind of speaks to that and that that was already something that was going on that they could have done. So uh, I don't think even that argument really holds up because nobody's saying like she's not saying like, no, like they, they, you know, just needed to hold on. She's there. Her team is saying that there should have been a renegotiation because I've read, I've gone in and read the actual statements rather than just looking at the headlines, uh, <laughs> which I know most people just want to comment on the headlines, but you know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like ScarJo's people are saying no, no, this is what was. I mean, they 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 said, look, we're we're more than happy to sit down and figure this out. You know, it's just the fact that they're just flat out refusing right now, and, and that's you know that that's the big company mentality. Oh, we're just going to shock and awe, but let's also mm-hmm. keep in mind. I mean, you know she's probably got enough dividends going on right now. She can afford the, uh, uh, you know, a few million dollars in lawyer fees in order to, to pin them to the wall, so. Well, yeah, and I mean, so the thing to me that shows Disney that they're afraid is they did that release of like, she's already made mm. $20 million and I'm just like, 
whoa, that is not okay, first. And second, that means that yeah. you don't have an argument that you're trying to go for low blows. Their first release was like, things are hard in COVID times. And oh, you're like, right. yeah. oh, that means you think you're in big trouble. Like you don't have a leg to stand on if that's the first release you dropped out. Like, Yeah, they were trying to make like, people feel bad. Look, she's asking for more money when things are hard all uh, over in COVID. Everyone's yeah. yeah, everyone's struggling. It's like, yeah, Disney, yeah, yeah. sure. You're struggling. Who's the number one like brand hey, new service? Hey, we we don't we don't know what their we don't know what their day to day is like. They can't get out. They can't go out for Starbucks anymore. How are they supposed to get coffee, Sean? You know, answer me. They that. send their assistants. Yeah, I mean, basically. <laughs> Their assistants can't their assistants can't go get coffee either. I mean, come on. Yeah, their assistants. They had to let go. Of their assistant's assistant. They can't send out for sushi. <laughs> they got to bring how, home how lunches. They, they go. Do any work? Oh my god. Where, who who weeps for Disney? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Michael, right, well, I think we're I think we're all pretty much on the same page with this one, and and yeah, it's yes, they can eat a bag of fire and die. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that out loud? I think Mark feels somewhat strongly about this one. Yeah, I've been dealing with these for years yeah. on the on the farthest end of their uh, distribution chain, and it, every single time I deal with them, it feels like I'm being handed scraps. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all right. It's I, you know, I I'm the one that bought the movie theater, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it couldn't happen to nicer people. I I hope she takes him to the yeah. All right. Well, yeah. No. We'll we'll see how this goes, and we'll see if uh, we might have some more to talk about, you know, later about this. But for now, I think that's that's it for this five minute controversy. Uh, but before we start talking about RPGs, we are going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we're the hosts of the Watchathon of Rassilon. A podcast where we're watching through all of Doctor Who. And we're just about finished with the classic series. Depending on when you hear this, we may already be done. So why not go check for yourself? And while you're there, why not go ahead and listen to every single episode of the Watchathon of Rassilon? And watch as Joe loses his last little tenuous grip on sanity. The Watchathon of Rassilon, a proud member of the ESO Network. And we're back. And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, we are talking about tabletop RPGs. So, you know, you might be listening to this, you know, you might be a listener who listens to, you know, a lot of our episodes and you're like, what, what are you talking about? What is a tabletop RPG? So Kimmy, why don't you explain, you know, from your point of view, what is a tabletop RPG? Uh, I tend to explain that tabletop RPGs are like, acting improv games mm. with some randomized uh moments that are decided by dice rolls mm -hmm. so it's like you take like the theater kids in high school and mix them with like the math kids in high school and then that's like your rpg crowd um it's it's that's a little intimidating for people because like improv games that's scary but basically you sit down and you collaboratively tell a story through a conversation and you get to decide what some things that happen and then chance and dice rolls get to decide other things that happen. 
and hopefully at the end you have a cool cool story yeah um sean do you have anything to add to that collective storytelling is the easiest way i describe it it's a bunch of people sitting around just like you're at a campfire and you're all collectively telling a story uh, that's how i used to describe it 25 years ago is we're all going to sit around and we're all going to contribute and somebody leads the story but everybody has a voice um, and it's never supposed to be just one person telling the story as it is. They, they, they give you the setting, but they're not the characters. The characters are you. And so everybody has a chance to encourage their voice. Um, but that's the thing is role-playing games come in so many different flavors. There are some that are much more mathematically inclined. There are some more which are like, what what math? You know, and, and, and all the flavors in between. But at its core, it's collective storytelling with hopefully friends. You know, you could do it with your enemies, but uh, it, it's a better experience if it's with your buddies. <laughs> oh my God. I just now, I just <laughs> imagining in my head, like just a bunch of people sitting down, like squinting at each other. <laughs> just hate gaming. <laughs> yeah, hate gaming. <laughs> Or I guess I guess if it's just the DM, you know, that's not, you know, that difficult. But uh but but well that's not a good way of doing it though, but we'll get to right, that. Right, right, no, 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 but I know, but I'm gonna say like yeah. it's more like the beach trip <laughs> and how like we just like split up into clicks. <sighs> we'll get to that. Like, we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. Hate each other. All right, Mark, anything else to add about uh about gaming? Not really. Uh, uh, their definitions were a little bit more nuanced than mine. I used to tell people that it, remember when you play Cowboys and Indians as a kid and then you'd always get mad because you'd fall to arguing about who really shot who and who missed? Well, role-playing games have rules that, that help you figure out who, who hit and who missed. But it's basically playing uh, make-believe. And so, and so I, I, that was, that's, that's a very kind of a groggy sort of a uh definition but i am over 50 so yeah i, I came from it from kind of uh, i think kind of a backwards direction but it might be something that a lot of people like younger than me might come at it from this direction too where i came to jrpgs first so video games you know that 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 had taken yeah. what D and D and other games have done and turned them into a video game, and that was my first experience with anything like that. And when I was a kid, I played what was called Final Fantasy II, which was actually the Final Fantasy IV from Japan, but it was the second one released in the U.S. And it was amazing to me because the characters didn't feel like generic video game characters they all had their own personality and they all had their own unique powers and how their powers worked and i never seen a game that nuanced before and i became kind of obsessed with like the sort of final fantasy genre in video games and learned that there were other video games that sort of you know use the same thing and then come to find out that there are actually tabletop games that those are based on where you know people sort of manually do the calculations and everything but it's the same sort of thing like every like you have your warriors, you have your, you know, magic users and all that other stuff. And so like, then the rules are sort of set up so that you can play as those different things. And that just like, like, like blew my mind. I was like, wow, this sounds like the most amazing kind of game that somebody can play. Um, so, yeah. so that was sort of the direction that I came at it from. Um, but yeah, I think the, what everybody's saying, I mean, is completely right. I mean, the, what makes it a tabletop RPG though, is that you have a pen and paper and dice and you play it on a table basically. And, and the other cat thing I would throw out there is there's also LARPing, you know, when we talk about role playing and that's where people are actually like dressing up and acting out more so. Whereas with tabletop gaming, you might do dialogue in character, but you're typically not like acting out 
any of the things your character is doing. Right. You might have miniatures, but even that, even though I've had gaming groups who say otherwise, even that is optional. You do not, right. you do not have to have miniatures to game. You don't have to set things out on a table. Um, some yeah, games are more geared to that, but yeah. Yeah. What, what did you say, Kimmy? Oh, I said, here, here. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the storytelling process, because I think even though we, we kind of said, like, hey, it's something that everybody contributes to, just sort of describing how does that work? You know, what is the relationship between we have, like, we have a games master or a dungeon master, if it's D&D, but game master is the more generic term. And how does that sort of interaction work? Um, so why don't you start us off on that one, Mark? Like, how, how would you say, like, that is a collaborative process rather than somebody just sort of dictating, you know, like, what, what is going on? Well, it's, it, it's actually a, a give and take. The, the GM's role uh, is to set the scene and establish the parameters by which the characters uh, are interacting. And, and, and th this is all part of the, what we call, you know, the very broadly theater of the mind where, you know, I'm describing you're in the hold of a ship and there's water up to your knees and, and you can smell the brackish air and the, and the brine from the, from the sailing in the ocean. And, you know, and, and so I give you sensory details. Um, I would also tell you if there's anything in the room that you could interact with uh, and, and basically just give you an idea of, of where you are in this imagined space. And then the players will then ask me questions. Uh, are there torches uh, in, in the hold? No, but there's sconces where a torch would be if you weren't in a shipwreck. Uh, and, and, and so through that, they then uh, describe what their characters are doing again in this imagined space. And I had a realization uh, recently when I was uh, having a conversation with my gaming group, and that is no matter how well I describe the room, the room in my head and the room in their head is a different room. And so it, it, the onus is on me to sort of make sure that at least the set pieces, the table and the chairs uh, are, are represented so that, that, that even, the, even if I'm you know, doing a terrible job of telling you what kind of table it is, that there's a table there and there's a map on it that you can go look at, I think is the, is the sort of the takeaway. And so, so the GM's job as, a, as, a, as the game master is to facilitate that. He lets people know the results of their actions. If you, I'm gonna go try the door. Well, the door is jammed. It's been sealed uh, shut by swelling uh, of wood in the, in, the hold, in the hold for 40 years. Uh, and so then, he, then that's a problem that they have to overcome. They'll talk about how they want to do it. Ideally, uh, you'll resolve it with a die roll, but sometimes you don't have to. Sometimes it's going to be more complicated or less complicated. And that depends on the game and it depends on the system and the, and the resolution mechanism. But in, in practical terms, um, I am the computer uh, presenting your characters with the video game experience, you know, for, for, for want. All right, so Mark's uh, telling us he's a Cylon. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cylon. I'm not. Right. Uh, so, um, Sean, do you have anything to add to that? 
Absolutely, I do. Um, yeah, okay. and it's funny because you know you call them uh, uh, GMs or DMs, but you know I don't know if you remember, but back in the day I used to hate those terms. Mm. Um, I, I I was uh, vastly against those terms because the term master always made it feel like you were separating yourself from the other gamers. Um, I really glowed onto the White Wolf system when I was younger, and I liked the fact that it was called the storyteller system. So, you know, you were the storyteller. You were basically helping tell the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like that. And I was like the idea of the storyteller's job is to help convey in broad strokes what's going on and then let your players fill in the, the gaps. And uh, like Mark was saying, you know, uh, sometimes you have a challenge and it could be resolved through combat. It could be resolved through deception. Or sometimes it could be resolved when everybody remembers they have 50 feet of rope and they can just go down a freaking hole and skip an entire day's worth of planning, you numb nuts. And uh, ruin and and make the, the the storyteller just have to come up with something completely out of whole cloth because otherwise the game's just off the rails. Um, but that's what makes it fun is yes. w- when you get those moments. You you a, as a, a storyteller, DM, GM, you have to then think on your feet. And uh, a lot of people are very much afraid of that. They think that sometimes it's planning. It's too much weighing yourself down. And, and uh, I see these questions asked a lot on Twitter. And whenever I see one, I'll, I'll always respond, uh, which is as, as the, the DM, the GM, um, your job is to come up with the broad strokes of your story. This is the event that's going to happen if this thing happens and figure out a, a couple of variables. And then think of some really wild things that can happen if somebody throws a curveball into your game and then just let it percolate in your head for a day or two. And then sit down and just trust your elements because no matter what you thought of, no matter what you planned, as soon as you make contact with your players, uh, some people would consider this like a war analogy, the the enemy, Mm -hmm. um, throw the whole plan out the window because that's not what's going to happen. And that's what makes it fun because if it happened the way you laid it out, then you're essentially writing a novel. And what's fun in that, you know? So for me, the, the mystery of... I have no idea what these people are going to do is what makes the game fun. Otherwise I'm just sitting around dictating basically. And then the characters tell me what their dialogue is. And I mean, that can be fun, but that's not really how I roll. So I I tend to be more of the let, let's just, you know, I I feel like I'm the dude, like from the big Lebowski, like, you know, that's just an option, man. You know, it's not the way you have to do it. I think all DMs end up being pantsers. Uh, And the, the better the DM you are, the more you pants uh as opposed to a plot uh you you always start with a plot but in the game you're 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 pantsing every yeah. time see to your pants uh and uh it's weird when you it's it's almost it's almost more exciting when they go into the room that you wrote the description for <laughs> oh my god they're doing it they're doing <laughs> it you know that's the part that's uh fulfilling yeah. is when is you can manage to get them into the story you set up but almost all i there's i've never played a game that i didn't have to go okay um so this happens next you know because somebody yeah. just came up with a, a weird yeah well you know? well yeah i mean sometimes somebody comes up with something so clever though you want to roll with it too and that's the other side of it it's not just like yeah. they decided something crazy or whatever it's just like wow that is really clever i'm gonna use that and like you know like stuff like that where it's just like and then you just incorporate it in you know yeah well uh, i'm i'm oh, almost a hundred percent an improv gm mm. i generally like I GM all the time. It's one of the reasons I like GMing systems like PBTA that are wild and things happen in really weird directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to spend a lot of time planning my my sandbox. So I know the world super well and wherever they go in it, like I know what's there 
And then whatever they do is going to dictate what happens. So I've like my very first, I think, you know, the, fir the first time you GM, you're like, okay, I have a story. I have a thing. You'll go here and then you'll go here. And then I sort of progress to module modular story design where it's like, mm -hmm. here are some big beats and they'll happen in whatever order that they want. And now I'm like, cool, here's your world. Go. Okay. You go there. And then like, I've, I think, after enough time, like you kind of build up those skills, like you were saying, pantsers, and you just like make it up as you go. And I, so I know my cast of characters, I have my list of random names. So whoever they meet, I don't have to be like, uh, cause I'm terrible at names. And I just know mm -hmm. that about myself. Um, and then we make it up as you go. Cause I am a firm believer that the, the GM, the DM, the storyteller, you know, the MC, whatever you call them and whatever system you play, they are a player too. They need to be having fun. So if you, they're sitting there like stressed out and, you know, not having a good time, then it's like, that's not cool. Like it's, you, they are not there to serve the other players. They're a player too. They should be having fun. And for me, that's, you know, rolling with whatever's happening as we go. And, you know, the flip side of that is it's very apparent that uh, myself, Kimmy and Mark are all flavors of, uh, of, of, of flavor over function. We, we much would rather have the flavor of the game be, you know, top tier, you know, top tier, you know, just, you know, that creme brulee that everybody wants another serving of versus, well, we followed the rules exactly the way they were written out. And there are games that are like that. And people, you know, some people really like that mechanical stuff. I tend to put them more in like the Warhammer communities where they're doing more tabletop wargaming stuff. But there are communities that really like knowing exactly how everything's going to lay out on a mathematical precision from rules. But as Nathan knows, I will throw a rule out faster than anything if I feel it's getting in the way of the fun. Um, I am all about flavor and I will rewrite a rule on the spot and say, this is how we're doing it now. And uh, I have no problems doing that because it's it should be about enhancing your fun, not about slowing the game down and making everybody feel like they're slogging. Or or the worst thing is getting to an argument and not finding a way to, to not only make the, the DM or the, the storyteller happy, but also frustrating the player. The, the players, and this is an, a little secret that we can talk about, the players want to feel powerful in most cases. Right. They want to feel like they can affect the world. When you play some of these systems, sometimes like a, a great example is Wraith. If you've ever played the Wraith game way back in the day from White Wolf, you start out basically as a fledgling ghost and you're like Patrick Swayze at the very beginning of Ghost, right? Like you have no powers and every other ghost around you basically is just like God tier powerful. And in that world, it's all built on slavery. So they enslave you immediately and you don't get a chance to do anything. That is a horrible, horrible system. I played it a few times. I was like, never again. Like, oh my God, this is really, it's just depressing. Um, and I'm like, there is no way that this is a fun system. Um, and I think that's something that when we look at it, we could say there's a better way of playing this game. And if you want to take it apart, you can. But when the rules don't make it fun, why play the game? So I tend to see that flavor is much more of a, 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 a positive thing than sticking close to rules. So. Yeah, and I think that part of the problem comes from the fact that D&D &D is, you know, considered the first tabletop role-playing game, and it grew out of a war game, right? Like, yes. it was, you know, there was a wargaming community, and Gary Gygax was was in that community, and he started building up this sort of D&D &D war game that then sort of started adding on the role-playing elements as it went, and so that's why that sort of element has sort of been present in the role-playing community from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, as someone who has DM, my, my very first experience 
uh, DMing was with a group where one of the guys was very much like, uh, no, actually, they can't do that and stuff like that. And where it was just like, it would derail the game. It made it no fun at all. Even some of the other players would be like, come on, man. You know, like, and this was something where I had moved to a different area and these guys were their own group of friends. They just needed a DM. You know, and so it was like, but even them, like them being this tight knit group, they were sick of him doing this stuff. Right. Is this the game I'm thinking of? Is this the is this the game I'm thinking of? The Babylon game? No, the, no, 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 no. The Babylon one? Five game. I was actually playing the Babylon Five game with you guys in Charleston. A, a little bit. Mm -hmm. It started a little bit after this game in Fayetteville that I started, where I was actually doing D and D. I was doing the Babylon Five. No, the Babylon, <laughs> that had its own challenge, but that wasn't from <sighs> rules lawyering. That was. That was more just like this is the way it's played, which is kind of the same thing, but it's just yeah. Dave was kind of used. Yeah, to that certain, guy. That, uh, we, yeah. we 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 he, he was an interesting cat, but that because guy he didn't believe that point... there could be conflict between players. Like right. that was his thing, and he didn't like the fact that there was. Uh, to me, that's like that's great. Role play it out. You know, like not yeah. like I'm trying to kill you or anything, but like they were playing as two people who didn't speak the same language, and. You know, uh, uh, our friend Bill was doing something. I can't remember what he was doing, but it was something like he, he got to the point where he's just slapping him. And he was just like so angry because I didn't have them already speaking the same language. I didn't have it where, you know, like, because I want, I felt that that was the most interesting thing is just watching Bill trying to communicate with this guy non-verbally. Right. And like Dave just couldn't handle it because yeah, he'd been gaming since the seventies and this is just not how it's done. Yeah. And what was funny was that then there was another time we were playing, I think it was one of Bill's games and, and we had killed a bunch of monsters. And so it was time to split the loot. Like, Oh, let's split the loot. And he's like, Oh, so we're communists. And it's like, what do you mean? He's like, we just pick up what we want. And if anybody wants it, like, then you, you have to fight before it. We're like, what? No, we put it all into a collective plot. We split it up evenly. Like, come on. Like, he's like, that's not how I game. Okay. Um, but anyways, yes. So flavor over function. Right. <laughs> yes, as people can't tell, Sean and I have some history with gaming um, together. I mean, 20 plus years of gaming together. We got a few <laughs> right. we, we got, yeah. it, it feels a little more like trauma. <laughs> that particular guy was trauma, but there were a lot of great experiences. Yeah. I, I right. mean, no, I mean, and even yeah. he, like, he was great when he was playing that bard in Bill's game where he could just come up with verse on the fly. Like, as far oh, as yeah. stuff like that, like, that was just like, wow, I was in awe of him just, like, coming up with verse on the fly. Mm -hmm. And it was fun, rhyming verse that, like, made us all laugh. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, a couple different things I want to talk about now, but I think I'll go to, because we're all kind of touching on it. And, and, I, and, 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 and so I'm going to kind of, I want to talk about toxic experiences because I do want people to understand that gaming, you know, like we're talking about it as this great thing, this great collaborative effort. Players feel empowered. The GM feels great because they're like giving this creativity that they've created out as a sandbox for people to play in. But there's a couple of different things here. And so, Sean, I think you have this great story that I would like you to tell about the guy that you learned from about like the, you're walking on the road and you see the like Citadel in the distance yep. or, the, or the mansion or whatever it was. Yeah, yep. could, you, could you just give that example? Because I want to kind of give an example of there are GMs that don't do it this way that we're describing okay so and, and i'm going to give you a second story on on the back end of that okay sure, sure. yeah so we're not going to call him by his real name because i don't like name dropping him because he's a real sure. person and and they might actually follow me online and whatnot so we're going to call him larry okay 
But Larry was a guy who lived up the road from me, and he was a few years older. Uh, I was around 12, 13 at the time, and uh, these kids were like 15 or so. Um, and uh, they were, we were on the bus all the time going from like our, the way our system worked is that the middle school and the high school kids would go uh, on the same buses. And so they would talk about role-playing games, and I got really interested in it because I had my D&D red box set, you know, from the 80s. And I was like, oh, and, but I never had anybody to play with. And so these guys were talking about it, and I was like, man, I really wish they'd let me play. So I would start to kind of weasel my way into the conversation. Um, and and uh, eventually they're like, hey, why don't you come and play with us? And I said, that would be fantastic. So Larry's like, okay, make a character. And uh, I remember the character's name. He was an elf. His name was Liffin, uh, which was named after a, uh, a character from a Choose Your Own Adventure book that I loved a lot. And uh, we started playing this game. And so at one point, there is a, uh, we're just an adventuring crew that's going through this woods. And there is this big ominous castle off on the horizon. And there's a road, that, or the, a split in the road. And so we're like, okay, we can either take the road going towards the big ominous castle, or we could take the road that's not going to the big ominous castle. And we're like, we're not going to the big ominous castle. That's stupid. So we go down the other road. And sure enough, what's at the end of it is the big ominous castle. And we're like, what the hell is this? So we turn around and go back and what's on the other side is the big ominous castle. Um, and this of course is a, a classic trope known as railroading, meaning that no matter what you choose, you will be forced into the situation that the, the, the DM wants you to be in. You do not have choice, you have the illusion of choice. Um, and, and that was something that really flustered me. And that continued on for a few game sessions until I got into a situation where I was hopelessly outnumbered. I was removed from the rest mm -hmm. of the party and Liffin was unceremoniously killed. And so at that particular moment, they, they stopped and they all got like the, they looked like the hyenas at the end of the Lion King right before they all eat Scar, right? Um, <laughs> and I was like, what is about to happen? And they took out a lighter and they took the character sheet and they burned Liffin in front of me and they put it into a wastebasket and they said, roll up another character. And I was like, what the hell? Like I just spent like two or three game sessions really getting to know this character and having fun with them. And they just burned them on the spot didn't even, you know, consider getting a resurrection spell, anything like that. It was it. He was done. That was how they work. This is the earth. We go hard here. And that was how they played. And I was like, okay. And that was the last time I played with them because it so traumatized me. I did not want to play D&D with these cats anymore. And in fact, that was one of the big reasons why I did not play D&D for like another 10, yeah, about another 10 years, 10, 15 years. I would just avoid D&D. If I wanted to play fantasy games, I would write my own damn fantasy game. Screw D&D. AD&D could just suck it. Um, I was just like, no. Um, and I could not get over that fact. It took until basically 3.5. Um, yeah. in the early 2000s and I was like okay I'll, I'll try it because at that point I had learned the d20 system and I had learned every version of D&D except for actual D&D I had learned the Star Wars system I had learned d20 modern hell I learned the generic d20 fantasy setting before mm -hmm. I learned D&D um, but then I finally picked up D&D uh, and I was like okay well now I'm, I'm okay with it but yeah that you, you don't burn a freaking character in front of a player that's just rude so yeah, Larry, uh, uh, he burnt a bridge in more ways than one with me on that one. Um, but yeah, I still hung out with the guy because I didn't have a lot of friends. So that was mm. my, my people's, but I did not game with them anymore. Um, but that very much controlled how I became a game master later on. I was like, I will not be that guy. I am not going to traumatize yeah. players in order to, to, to have fun. That is not my job. Yeah, there's a couple of different things there because yeah, like you talk about, there's this sort of traumatic experience and sort of like being yeah. out to kill the player. Yeah. But then there's also the railroading aspect. And that's one of the right. reasons, I don't know if you guys saw, but in this topic, 
in the in the 42 cast cast page i dropped this picture that somebody had actually shared with you on your page sean mm. where it was like time to step up your a game and it's like a bunch of miniatures on a table with dry ice wafting and like right. this whole cityscape and everything and it's like okay there that's cool i mean yeah. obviously visually that's very cool but to be able to do something like that, you have to really lock your game in to make sure that the scenario happens. Yeah. You know, the way that you want it to happen, right? And yes. that's sort of my issue with people, you know, uh, taking this mentality of, oh, it's got to be like these big elaborate, like miniature scenarios and everything. And that's what mm -hmm. D&D is or gaming is because the railroading, it hurts me so much. And that's what I always appreciated playing with you, Sean, is the open nature of the game you right. know and as a player that was always something that i really liked is that i could literally do anything and you might be scrambling might. you might be scrambling but you would let us do it you would let us make any choice we yes. wanted to make and what was funny was that at the end of these game sessions because we would do these marathon game sessions we mm -hmm. would we would have uh slumber parties where everybody would come over to somebody's house and we would play for like you know 10 hours straight stuff like that and um, at the end of the sessions, invariably, one of the players would come up and say, how much of that did you plan? And I was like, 5%. And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, you guys just went off and did this thing. Like, I had notes, and they're really good notes, but you guys didn't do anything on the notes. So, you know, just you, you just have to roll with it. Um, but, I, again, I think that that's part of the, 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 the positive of it, which is, you know, railroading makes a DM – how do I put this? Like I was saying before, railroading is like dictating a novel. There's no creativity in it as far as you don't get a chance to really act out. You're just basically dictating what you've creatively made. And if you want to be a novelist, sure, that's a great tool, I suppose. But as a game, it's not a lot of fun for the DM because at that point, you're trying to make the players do what you want. And sure, you can make options very palatable and very uh, attractive, but there's always that guy or girl who's going to say, yeah, but I just want to eat a lot of freaking food down at the pub to see what happens next. And you got to be able to account for that. I, hell, I had one whole game session about six years ago where my players just decided that they didn't want to do a damn thing for an entire session. They wanted to just kind of wander this town. And two of the players basically got into a fight in a, um, in a, in a gastro pub where they were actually brewing their own beer. And they basically, I had to on the fly come up with more or less a yeast monster because somebody had some wild magic get out of control. And so all the beer that was fermenting in the back got out and it became animated and it's rolling down the streets like the blob eating people and stuff. I didn't plan for that. But here I have this yeast monster that people are fighting, trying to get away. And these are like just regular civilians. So they're like, you know, 1D, you know, 1D2 damage, you know, stuff like that. Like just the most ridiculous stats I could come up with. Um, and it was hilarious. You know, it was a great time. And they still talk about the beer monster that, <laughs> that got out of control. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what you want to do is have fun with it versus, again, dictate it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, other examples of things like behavior you've seen at the gaming table, whether from the standpoint of you're the GM or you've been a player, like, so Kimmy, is there any examples of anything that you've seen that's something that it's like, this is just not something that I want to see, you know, it doesn't make for a good gaming experience. Yeah, lots of things. I think it's important to kind of like clarify, like most people are gaming with their close friends. So most cases, like it's you and people you know well, any missteps are not, you know, it, it, ill intentions. Um, like it's like, hey, I didn't think of this. Um, when you go to conventions and you play at conventions, uh, suddenly this is a whole nother beast because you are playing with people you've never met before. You're all signing up 
your names on a list, uh, GMing uh, at those is wild too, <laughs> super, super wild ride. Um, I mean, there's so many, like, like I've been gaming at conventions now for 12 or 13 years as a woman. So there's been lots of, lots of very awful inappropriate things that have happened. Um, you know, it's always like, oh, not so much anymore. Now when I go to a convention, I am very rarely the only woman at the table. But when I first started, it was all the time. And suddenly it's like, there's the people who are like, oh, like, I'm going to try and spy on her while she's changing and like, like really bad stuff. Like, like, yeah, people trying to touch you while you're sleeping is a thing that like we were doing. Yeah, it's just bad. And those aren't even the worst things. Like I've had, I've had like women friends of mine have their characters, like other people try to rape them in games. Um, like it's just not, not no. great. Luckily that's something that's happening less and less now with the introduction of safety tools um that are pretty much a given at most tables at least at the conventions i go to um, yeah i'm surprised that like that's that not like an expulsion offense from the con to do something like that right you'd think but it is now sometimes depending on who it is um like a lot of times people are like oh that's that's joe like he doesn't mean to hurt and you know he just doesn't know i'm just like, playing just my alignment <laughs> yeah uh, that's just what my character would do i would never do that to you oh okay cool uh, I sat down at a game one time that was uh, like, it's supposed to be like a horror game. And it ended up being like this house of like, like lingerie clad vampires, like that were all women, all, all women vampires in their lingerie, which didn't even make sense. Like, and it was like, it was supposed to be like a serious game too. Like that was the hardest part. Like if someone had been like, hey, lingerie party vampire like rock house like you're okay you sit down you know what game you're signing up for but like it was like haunt you know mysterious like vampire horror you're like oh okay cool Count dracula oh i want to suck your blood it's like no double d's everywhere cool it's just like like the awkwardness of that and there's been more than once that i've like cool i'm gonna and i hate doing this but like if you run a game like that, like, I don't feel bad about it. Oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Grab your purse. Don't come back. Um, and then it's like, yeah, if, you, if you're that clueless about it and that willing to objectify a group of people for whatever reason, then that's not cool. Um, so that, I think that's the biggest thing now. It's like, like really looking at who you're playing with. Um, especially if you're doing things that are historical games, because there's a lot of things it's like, hey, my game, you know, takes place right after the Civil War. Okay, well, if you have someone who's black at your table, that's still a really terrible time period. Yes, technically, slaves were freed in some places, but it's like there's, you know, segregation, like whatever you're planning, you need to really think that through. Um, currently, I'm running a lot of sci-fi because I'm testing my game. And before every game, like we go through, hey, this is what the setting's gonna be like, you know, disabilities still exist. Like we haven't used science to wipe out disabilities because that's ableist as heck to like play a game like that. But we, you know, uh, technology has made everything accessible. So, you know, you are able to speak with people who have hearing impairments because everybody has this thing that, you know, every building is accessible. You have, you know, chairs that are able to access everything. So that way we're still seeing the struggles that people are dealing with every day in our real time, um, you know, and if and if people want to choose to play abled characters when they are disabled, that's fine. 
but you also want to, you don't want to take away that option and be like, hey, the perfect utopia of the future is no one is disabled. Like, cause that makes them feel like garbage and that's not cool. So you want to make sure that you're, you're making space for groups that are other than your own in your gaming. Um, and my examples, because I'm a woman are of being othered are all from the women's perspective, but that makes, you know, that's true for black indigenous people of color that, you know, people who are disabled, like all these different things. So I think those are the biggest kind of faux pas that still happen. Um, and uh, I still run into those pretty, pretty regularly. Yeah, <laughs> Not intended, like people usually mean to do a good job. They don't want to run a racist game, but it's just kind of those blind spots that we have using the word blind spots. I shouldn't say it. those, you know, those, those places we can't see, you know, those things that just aren't in our vision because of privilege or whatever else. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I've always realized, um, and I think it's because of the very traumatic first game experiences that, that at least in my group and, and Nathan has seen me do this is I've always tried to make sure that everybody's comfortable with what we're playing. And if we go off into a bad scenario, I'm like, well, tell me what's going on and I'll, I'll, I'll course correct. Um, you know, cause it's like, I never want anybody to feel like I'm intentionally going after them or that we're intentionally trying to make somebody bring up possibly a trauma. Um, and that's something that I think if you're a decent human, you understand that, you know? And I think when you're playing a role-playing game, sometimes people use it as such escapist fantasy because they feel so de-powerful in real life that they're like, well, I can be, you know, a person who pillages and 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 rapes and, and murders and, and does the most horrible things and I'm playing my alignment. And if everybody at the table has agreed to that and you all know that this is something that you could all potentially do and everybody's okay with those avenues, fine. But in general, that's not the reason people get together, which is why when everybody says, oh, I want to play evil games, I'm like, are you sure? Because normally when people say they want to be evil, they just want to be able to, you know, like kill a couple of villagers and steal all the gold. They don't really want to go evil. And I'm like, eh, maybe you want to be more of a chaotic game, not an evil game. You know, um, we're kind of doing that right now. I'm actually playing a chaotic character and uh, we, we have hard lines. We're like, we're not doing that. That's weird. You know, but like, oh, murder hobos? We'll murder hobo all day long, you know, but like, you know, but we're, we're not, you know, um, and by the way, when I say murder hobos, we're the murder hobos. We're just, we're, we're homeless people yeah. who are going around killing everybody. Um, I prefer the term murder tourists because generally enough. the players are much more well off than other people and you're usually staying in inns <laughs> and you're usually, so you're, you're, you're tourism through there. You're murdering people as you do your we're, tour. What's funny is actually we're dirt, poor, we're dirt poor in this game. We have absolutely no money. Oh, okay. um, in fact, the whole okay. thing is that we found out that this, this one <laughs> boat has a bunch of money on it. And so basically we snuck onto it and we're killing everybody on the boat to get the money. And we just found out the money's all <laughs> fake and we're very upset about it. We are very oh, mad because I'm like, yeah. you're telling me I just murdered all these people and, and, and my boyfriend, because I played a female character, my boyfriend has, a, mm. he ruined his Lando cape and now we have to go buy him a new Lando cape. It's a whole thing. My wife is playing a guy, I'm playing a girl. Yeah. It's, it's very funny. Um, and funny. I'm a, uh, that's just what I was I, just going to oh, say, I'm a barbarian monk, so I'm very zen, but I'm very aggressively zen about it. So mm. <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculousness of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is why I'm a huge proponent of uh, one of the safety tools called lines and yeah. veils. So before a game even starts, like the first session, 100% do a session zero where everybody talks about everything. But I usually send an anonymous Google Doc with things called lines and veils. So lines are things that like, this will not be in the game. I don't want this to be mm. in the game. Like I'm a pretty new mom. So for me, one of my lines right now is harm of child, children in any way. 
Cause like it immediately makes me sob and it will, it'll ruin the game for me and everybody right. else. So veils are things that are okay if it's included in the story, but you don't want it like explicit. Mm-hmm. So think of like in a PG movie when there's a sex scene and it kind of like goes to the curtain blowing in the wind and fades right. to black. Right. Like those are the veil moments. So there's there. Okay. They're banging. We know they're banging. We're not like, seeing them right we're not making dexterity checks for each position yeah i got you yeah exactly so that's i think those are super important (laughs) as a gm like i i run those all the time and it's great to use the anonymous google lot because they're there for you to reference every time you run a game and you can people can type stuff that's very personal without everybody knowing who typed them yeah so uh and that's that's super helpful to help kind of guide a game and make everybody feel safe yeah, no, that sounds like a good idea. Um, Mark, how about you? Like any experiences with sort of like toxic behavior that you've seen at a game, just things that are sort of like no-go type areas? Well, yeah, I've had, um, I haven't had as many uh, of those experiences uh, for a couple of reasons. One of which uh, I am the, the cis white, hetero, doughy, bag of goo guy. So I'm kind of silly putty in that respect. I can't, you know, there's not much you can offend me with. Uh, But I've also had the real early on, I came to the conclusion, and this is back when I was a teenager, that not everybody plays the same way. Hmm. And I real early on decided that it was okay if I don't play with certain people. Like I'd rather hold out and not play than play with somebody that I don't like or that plays in a, in a style that's incompatible with the kind of stories I want to tell or, or the kind of stories I want to interact with. And so I was able to avoid a lot of unpleasantness. Uh, I knew some people by reputation and they, you know, were people that were always up to play with anybody, but I just didn't really ever make the time to play with them. Um, and I, that served me well all through high school. And then I went into my twenties and I moved to Austin and I got to know, uh, some people at the local game store. And, uh, I found out that someone was setting up a champions game and I'm not a big champions player. I like, I think champions is, is, um, I think there's a lot of things wrong with champions. I'm not saying it's a great Satan, but it's definitely a little one. Anyways, Mutants um, and masterminds. <laughs> thank <Right>? you. <laughs> Villains and vigilantes. Oh, that's a good yeah. one too. Yeah. So, so I did. Um, so I, I showed up at this uh, guy's house, and our session zero was, you know, you had to bring a character that you'd already made, and he's going to look it over, make sure everything's fine, and then we're going to play. And there were like nine people in the room already, and I was thinking, this is too many. There's no way we're going to get a good game out of this because I, I know how champions combat runs. And then the 10th guy walked into the room. I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him Stevie. Uh, he's someone that I spent years trying not to game with in Waco. No. And here he was in the house. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I drove in from Waco to play. And I thought, oh, No. And so he brought his character in and the guy looked at it and went, are you sure this is what you want to play? And I just, I head in the hands. Oh, you got to be kidding me. He had created a character whose one power was that he explodes. 
in a radius and does damage to everybody in the radius. And then in the next turn, he reforms. And uh, uh, all the damage that, that happens in the radius, if you're standing by him, you take the damage as well. And the first time he did it, he knocked out three players. Uh, oh, he, he, he hit the bad guy he was trying to hit, but he, it was just a lot of unintentional, rather intentional blowback because his whole point was, can I make a character that does this? without any thought about whether or not you should make a character that does right. this. And so again, that's not egregious, but it's the kind of thing where you, where you're clearly acting against the group. And um, so I've just made it a policy over the years to, uh, I don't play with strangers. I don't play with people. I don't know if I'm in a convention uh, setting that's different because uh, as Kimmy pointed out, it's a whole different animal. The rules are different for, for convention play and should be right. There should be a lot of stuff that you sort of forego in a convention game because we're not here for your backstory. We're not here for your grim dark. You know, it's, it's a single objective. We've got four hours. Let's, you know, there's no time to, to hang out and, and, and haggle with the dressmaker. You know, it's, we got to go stuff to do down the road. And so, uh, but, but in a, in a regular setting, yeah, I think, um, uh, I think that those rules, uh, definitely session, session zero is, is absolutely necessary. And I think it just helps to, to know people. Uh, it helps to know if everybody's on the same page about what game we're playing, what we're doing. Uh, and I find that, that, um, it's easier. The, the last couple of D and D groups I had have been, uh, first time players, which is nice because, you know, <laughs> uh they they imprint on you like like a mother uh duck you know and uh th and that's not saying they won't <laughs> find other games but you know i'm i'm well aware of the responsibility of this is their first experience with dnd <laughs> i need to make sure that i'm checking certain yeah. boxes but i also need to make sure that they understand that this is fun that we're you know we don't split the party you know we're doing group stuff together there's you know uh, there's this sort of like code of the adventurer that, uh, that we're, that we're dealing with. And, and, you know, and these were all kids that came out of Grand Theft Auto and Skyrim, uh, and Red Dead Redemption and all that stuff. So I, it was, it was, uh, there was a bit of a learning curve, but not much. Mostly it's just a matter of, of talking, talking them through what the objective is. And then once they kind of know, we, we sit down and play. Yeah. Uh, I have had a couple of people behave badly, not at me, but at other people at the table. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better about stopping and going, wait, what was that? What did you just do? Did you say that in character? Did you mean to say that out loud? And 90% and of the time they walk it back and go, oh, uh, yeah, no, I was just whatever. You know, I, and I, but again, these are people that I know, people that maybe... Uh, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to, I, I don't play with strangers anymore. I can't. Kimmy, I'm, I'm impressed that you have the fortitude to do a bunch of uh, convention gaming. Uh, it just sounds, that sounds horrible uh, to basically uh, sit down at a table and not know who's going to be a uh, head. You know, I just, it just doesn't seem like it'd be very fun. I don't know. 
Sean, after listening to all this about convention gaming, I am proud of when we did round con of people who would actually come back and seek us out. Yeah. I so did that they would play with us years? again when we were doing the Star Wars game. Yeah, I did three years in a row. I, I did something called the Great Space Race, which was I had planned because my stupid. OK, here's a secret fact about Sean. I never plan small. I always plan for big, gigantic stories that could take years to resolve. Um, and so I said, let's do I, I said, let's do a trilogy of games that will take over three different conventions and you show up to one, you can show up to all three, but if you show up to all three, you get one really big story. And it starts off with basically the, the, this, this hot rod race of, of people in different starships trying to get around and they've basically crash land on a planet and then they have to survive the thing that's happening on the planet. They got to escape all this stuff. Um, and it was the, the space race was one crashing on this planet and figuring out what's going on. And then escape from the planet was the third one. And people came back year after year. Like they wanted to see what happened. Um, yeah, it was a weird thing, you know, and remember, Nathan, before that year, I did Hyper Marionette, remember, where yes. we were doing the, the the crazy World War II, everybody had, like, uh, uh, armor, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was the middle of World War II, and then basically aliens had invaded, and so then people had to start, like, well, we can't fight each other, we have to go out and fight it, but there's still, like, different factions, there's the Axis and the Allies and all mm -hmm. this other stuff, and, you know, so they're, they're, it, doing convention gaming is not what i thought it would be um which i think is why people kept showing up to our games because i wasn't doing the you got to go into the castle and get the tapestry so dr jones can find out where the grail is right you know or whatever the the objective is mm -hmm. our game was it was me doing my normal thing and saying hey we could do this in eight hours mm -hmm. and they're like do you, do you really want to do two back-to-back -back sessions so i was like i can't yeah. do it any other way yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah um and it worked I, yeah. it worked yeah, I do want to say it like I have a blast at conventions 90% of the time. It used to be more difficult and now mm -hmm. it's much better than it was years ago. Like the mm -hmm. hobby is, has broken open in the last like five years, especially. Um, there's lots of people that ru running lots of different systems, a lot of people using safety tools, a lot of different perspectives, a lot more um, diversity at the at in the cons so it's no longer like you walk into the gaming hall and everyone turns and stares at you because right. you are a woman um so I, I, it, it's gotten so much better you still every once in a while have a jerk um but it's also like as as my skills have grown so so has my my chutzpah to be like uh, you need to, to leave yeah, yeah. like and I, i'm lucky enough now that i have a little bit of a reputation at the cons that i attend so usually my games fill up really fast with really great people um and yeah. i think uh, i had one difficult person one time uh it was actually my very first con game i was ever jamming it was a wild talents game um wild talents is a one role engine it's a system built for like superheroes um mm -hmm. i had set it in the salem witch trials so superpowers were showing up in salem and that's what caused the the fear of the witches because no one knew what was happening mm -hmm. um it was really fun and i did a whole bunch of historical research i had an actual map of the salem county from the period um, because I love like when history saves you planning time. And <laughs> so I printed it out big. I did like little character portraits of each of the characters. They were all historical people from the era. Um, it was really super fun. And I was sitting there jam like ready to jam. And like pe some people I knew had signed up, some people I hadn't. And this one guy shows up and he like looks at me and it's the look of, oh, you're a girl. And just like the whole, like you could see, and then he like talked to his buddy who's also signed up and you can kind of see them like arguing and they, I'm like, oh no, oh no, 
okay, it's fine. Like I had enough people and I was like, okay, if he leaves it, that's better. He didn't leave. He sat down and he kind of was like folding his arms and kind of the. Right. uh, Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. Um, We started going and like, at first he's like super cold and then he sort of starts getting into it. And then he gets like really into it. And then he, you know, he, um, yeah. And he, he just is so into it. It turns out he took like a bunch of classes on, us on Salem from that period in college and was really into it. And he thought I wasn't going to do a good job. And like, he was super into it. And like, he then signed up for like every con following that he made sure to sign up for one of my games. And he like became like one of my biggest fans. And it was one of those moments where you just are like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into this together and we're gonna see, you might hate it, it'll be fine. Like we'll do it. And so I really loved that, that moment of like, breaking those preconceived notions um mm-hmm. and like being like yes i can be a badass informed woman and gm the pants off of this game and improv and still have it be in a historical setting and do both that well at the same time right. so mm-hmm. uh so that was that was a great thing yeah i gotta tell you that's something that's always really not sat well with me i you know i go back to the early 80s i'm i'm that guy and uh i i guess where i grew up which is weird because I grew up in, you know, like I was doing in Waco, Texas. I go back to the early 80s too, but just totally, just in general, early 80s. That's when I started. Oh, I see. Gotcha. <laughs> well, you know, there were never enough people to play with. Mm-hmm. And so real early on in all of my games, I had at least one uh, girl who was a, a friend that wanted to play that liked, you know, uh, Lovecraft or you know whatever we were doing and I I so I had women in my gaming groups through the well until I stopped in the in the early 90s and uh so I it always just it that that always bothers me when I want to hear those stories because I think back to my games and you know there was a lot of stuff we didn't cover because you know it's just Uki. That's a friend. She said, you know, this is someone you hang out with. This is someone who's, you know, married to your, your buddy. Uh, why would you do or say things that would intentionally make somebody uncomfortable? I don't understand. It's the thing that I don't understand is like, hey, you know, a lot of us guys were kind of geeky and we couldn't like get women to hang out with us. So why would you turn one away from the gaming right. table, right? We were thrilled. <laughs> we were thrilled that anybody else other than a somebody stinky, <laughs> right. you know, was sitting at the table opposite <laughs> us. We were just like, how did, and it was all, there was always a certain amount of like, awe, like, how did she get here? Oh, she fell out of the sky. Well, it was a, it was a, and, and it was great know? that I started with Sean because Sean always wow. had women in the group with us too. And so uh, for me, that just seems natural. Yeah. I've never played a game without a woman present, without one, at least one um, as part of the mix. And my game that I do now, um, you know, I've, I have eight players and two of them you know, or women, one being my wife. And sometimes it's three uh, based because sometimes I have local people that join in too um, with the group. But I mean, your wife totally counts. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that naturally my wife is here. So it's right, like, right, not right. like really like I've, 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 I've had people come to right. come, you know. That's but, funny. But, I, I've never played a game without a woman present either. Right, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, but Nathan's, I, I mean, I, I was joke, notorious. Sorry. No, I, I think it was a good joke. <laughs> but but I, I was notorious back in the day um, for the fact that I could onboard 
a very diverse group of people. Um, it, it was never just a bunch of random geeky guys. I would have uh, uh, ladies there. I would have uh, uh, people who were gay there. I would have people who were uh, of different ethnicities. I myself being Hispanic, um, you know, we would have basically a very, very diverse, colorful cadre because I was one of those guys that um, when I was growing up, I was rejected by a lot of, and this is going into my own personal history, but I was rejected by a lot of people. So as I started to understand who I was as a, as a human, as a person, what my value was um my one rule and nathan knows this is if you don't get along with each other that's fine but if you're around me you got to treat each other equally I, I i did not put up with any of these weird clickish you know bs like if you're hanging out with me you're my friend you accept that i'm friend with these people too and so i kind of applied that also to my games which is hey let me grab this person over here hey do you want to come over here and play werewolf and and i would get all these folks together and then they would have fun and then over time these people became friends and so our group was always a very 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 crazy mix of people that had uh, a lot of different backgrounds, interests. Uh, uh, and, and I think it was for the better. I didn't realize mm -hmm. I was that against type until we talked to other folks and they're like, wow. And I'm like, uh. Um, you, you game with women like what is that yeah, you know I mean, like seriously like, like it, in general um, most of the time our games would have if we had six or seven slots at least two to three people would be female you know um i mean that was just the 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 mix but there's another split too that i've found that it's like you either have the artsy group or you have the like mechanical mathematical group, you know, right. that's like all about like maximizing stats and things like that. And mm -hmm. it's like, I don't, I don't do that. Like my group is probably an even mix of like the artsy, like drama student slash, you know, like, like physical artist or whatever group. And then like engineers and stuff like that. And in fact, that's one of the things because like I'm heavy on role play. I really love, even though I'm an engineer in my job, I'm really heavy on role play because that's like what gets my creative juices flowing. Yeah, that was your the... first experience with all the role playing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like... Uh, right. And, and we so were we, really like, big that, on that. That, that, yeah. that stimulates me. I hate min maxing. I hate like worrying about stats over character. I'm like, the stats should follow character, not the other way around. And right. that's one of the things, like, well, uh, two of the guys that I've got playing in my game right now, they're very much in the min maxing side, but they've both said to me i mean they come as a as a group they actually game together in michigan um but they but they've told me that they really love my game because it's a different way of gaming that they've never like played before and they really like like doing that role-playing thing and i'm like it's fine to worry about those things that the math and whatnot it should just never trump the character you know uh interaction side of it and, and what your background is and stuff like that and so like that's you know that's the thing i like fusing those things i like i still like dnd as a system I, i've heard a lot of you know from you guys a little bit of like negative feedback on dnd <laughs> but i like dnd as a system but also i hate rules lawyering which is what i'm going to talk about as my toxic thing and when you have a system like dnd that is very explicit um that gives rules for just about every kind of situation interaction then the the bad side of that, the, the potential toxic side of that is the person who has memorized all of those rules and then insists that it must be that way. Um, I, like I say, my very first time DMing, um, I had a guy that that was his thing. Like he, I, it amazed me like things he could recall. Like there, there's, there's a movie, uh, there's a series of movies called the Gamers Movies. And in Gamers 2, there's like a montage, like where the guy's training and a guy is whipping him as he gives stats for monsters, you know, like and so he's reciting them, you know, it's like he's training. And um, so that's what I imagine that this guy was doing between game sessions. 
was uh was was doing that but but yeah it was like and it was and it was it was difficult because i'm like would your player know or would your character know that first of all so, so so first of all he brought in a lot of out of character knowledge and had that informed decisions then we tell all the other players like this is this is the stats for this thing and i'm like but your your character doesn't think in terms of stats he doesn't right. think in terms of you know i know this thing is weak against fire you know like but why would your character know that from his background you know like stuff like that mm-hmm. um but then also there is the like actually taking issue with my rulings which you know as the dm i'm saying like this you know this is fine you know based on that role based on your ability in that area it's fine and it's like well actually there's a chart in the book and that shows that that role actually wouldn't succeed and it's just like when you're when you're when you're dming you have to make decisions about a lot of stuff and that stuff should be in service of the story and you don't want to make the players feel like their stuff doesn't matter like their abilities and that stuff because they do a lot of a lot of them care about those numbers on their character sheet and it ought to matter if you've got a jumping skill of 20 versus the guy that's got a one he should be way better at jumping than the other guy but you also have to worry about what would actually make sense story-wise and what would actually make up for a fun experience for everybody and so sometimes you do what we call fudging where you know, a role went a certain way and it's like, you know what, I'm either going to allow that. Well, there's, I mean, it's more than this, but, but it's sometimes you fudge the role as far as like, say like the difficulty isn't what it should really be. Sometimes you fudge your own role to make sure that something in the story happens the way it should. Or sometimes you just don't know what the rule is, but you've got to, you you don't want to derail the game by pulling out the book, flipping to the page you know, sometimes it sometimes that does matter and sometimes it is worth the time because what's happening is something that is important enough and, and, it, and it allows the characters to differentiate themselves enough that you do worry about the chart in the book. But that's one of the things that you worry about as the GM. That's not for the player to worry about when those cases come up and what is what. So it's, it's, that's the thing. It's the, it's the rules lawyering just, just really bother me, especially as a new DM. Also, because it just it feels like, hey, I'm learning the ropes on this thing. And it's much better right. if you do take issue, if you talk to the person after the fact, like after the session, say like, hey, right. you know what? This happened. I think it should have been done this way or whatever. And that mm-hmm. makes it like a less confrontational situation and more of just, you know, like hey, you know, it should have been this. And then you can explain yourself also. And then you guys can just sort of see like what what there is. But just the constantly being called out on the specifics of the rules, it, it just makes for a not fun experience for everybody because it just derails everything. And, that's and I the- think a really good way of looking at that is when you're looking at the, 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 the format of, okay, we're going to stop the flow of this game. Maybe we're having a great moment. Everybody's in their mode and somebody wants to argue a piece of mechanics. My standing rule of thumb has always been, we're going to table that. I'm going to make a ruling and we're just going to keep on going. And we can then discuss that later. And if you don't like that, that's fine. We can figure it out. But, you know, the rule is, and this is one of the rules that I've always had as a, a, a storyteller, game master, DM is once a ruling is made we move on from it you know like yeah. that's it like you know the buck has to stop with somebody and once the 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 guy who has to make the rule or the girl who has to make the rule makes the ruling 
stop arguing it because yeah. if you don't, you're not respecting the process. Um, and that's something that as a player, you have to understand. And as a DM, you have to understand. Uh, again, perfect example. I'm right now a player in my friend's game and she's making calls that are sometimes good, sometimes bad. I do it differently, but I keep my yap shut because she's the one who's driving the boat right now. And I'm like, cool, you know? So it's like, if there's something that I feel is egregious, I'll bring it up to her after the fact. She hasn't, she's actually done a really fantastic job, you know? But the, the point is, is that there's mm -hmm. a time and a place to actually address those things. And the rules lawyer, as we call them, are always the cat who feels like it's their job to help steer the ship. And if mm -hmm. that's the case, they should yeah. be the DM. They should not be the player. And I think that is an old school technique. I think that is an old school thing. And, and what I love about you bringing up Gamers 2, Darkness Rising, you can watch it for free on YouTube, um, is the fact that the whole point is that that particular character doesn't get how toxic he is to his own group to the point where they're like, um, at the very end, the, the, the new player who happens to be female makes a really great character driven moment. And she's like, this is what my character would do. And the guy's just like, you had everything. You could have you could have had unlimited cosmic power. You gave it up to bring it back some NPC <laughs> and just storms out of the room. And then months later comes up. He's like, yeah, I was a I was a douche, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he, the character absolutely was, you know, and, and th that person mm -hmm. understands, you know, hey, that wasn't the right way to handle these th this thing. Um, and, and I thought that, that was also pretty, pretty telling of, you know, the people writing that story was like, hey, you know, we actually understand that, you know, this is not a good trait. It's common, but it's not a good trait. Because um, rules lawyers- yeah. I think suck. you do have to be careful though, especially um, with D&D &D is for the big example or other things where it's people take specific feats, they take specific powers, as the DM or GM, if you aren't following the rules, sometimes it can make them dump a bunch of points on something and something that no longer works. So I think you also right. have to be really cognizant of that. Like, hey, like not everyone who brings up rules like that, like I, I feel like there's rule, rules lawyers who do it just to be right all the time. And there's people who are like, hey, I like it's important that this works the specific way for me. Otherwise I the character agree. I built is less effective. And then that sort of takes away their agency as a player as well. Like this is one of the reasons I, I love systems that you don't really have to worry about stuff like that. Right. <laughs> but I think it's really important that if you're going to run a game where mechanics are as important as they are in D and D that you, if you're running it, you take the time to do it right. There definitely are times where you're like, hey, let's just hand wave this and do this. But if someone's bringing up something that they dumped points into for their character, you should like hear them out because it could definitely change how the scene plays out. Uh, in my specific example, he's worried about a role somebody else made. Right. No, no, no. I just mean and, in general. And that, that he feels like, right. Right. yeah, I wasn't commenting on your example, but so, like, like right. anybody asking or looking up a rule or fighting for a rule, like it doesn't mean that they're all rules lawyers. Like there are examples. No, of they're not. No, no. I, and, and, and you actually dropped out, I think, while I was saying that okay. part of like, as the GM, it's it's your job to decide when it is important and when it isn't right. important, because you're right. It, it's sometimes that's what differentiates players, like their characters. Mm -hmm. And and so it's absolutely important that you make sure that you're allowing them to show their power, yeah. right. you know, because they have all those points in a certain stat, you know? And so it's like, yeah, but, but there are other times when it's like the flow of the story yeah. is more important. Yeah. And let's not worry about looking for the chart and finding the 
right place on the chart yeah. and everything yeah, else sure. because it's close enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Nathan's seen me do this, you know, millions of times where we're playing a game and I know what the player's trying to do, but maybe we're getting locked down on a piece of minutia. I don't remember a rule. And I'm like, well, what was your point of trying to do this? Like, oh, this is what my character's supposed to be able to do. I'm like, okay, you do it. You know, I, I mean, it, that's one of those things where it's like if a character is loading something up and you go up to them and you say, well, we're not really going to use that rule anymore. I give them complete opportunity and agency to move those points into something else, you know, because because God yeah. forbid you, you again, you rob them of the, the ability to actually feel like they're able to contribute yeah. in a way, um, because that's the worst feeling in the world is you put all this effort into something and then just knit and it nullifies mm-hmm. out. That's that's no yeah. fun. You want every player to feel like they can contribute. And when they can't, it's no fun to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but then the rules lawyer side of it, uh, I was going to give a really great example was, and this isn't even somebody at our game. Um, Back in the day uh, when we used to play uh, here at the house, um, Laura would live tweet our entire game session on Twitter. So you can actually go back and, and, and you can read through our crazy act, crazy games. And there's this one infamous moment where they're on top of this mountain and they're trying to catch up with this other party and there's a giant rock that has died. It's been murdered by the NPCs. Um, a rock, for those of you who don't know, is just a big bird. Like It's like the size of like a small airplane. Um, and so these guys thinking that say, well, can't we just kind of like, you know, there's a bunch of trees up here. Can't we like kind of rig like a... a, a, a more or less basically a contraption that makes this thing into a giant glider. We just push it off the side of the mountain. And I was like, you could. And, and it went from a five minute scene where they should just climb back down the mountain and keep on going to a whole game session of me having to make up BS rolls so they can make this contraption so they can fly this rock off the side of the mountain. And they get it all ready, but they have no thrust to actually start the, the, the sliding down. And so Laura says, well, can't I just use my arcanic blast? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, you're going to use some kind of magical oomph. And so her, she was playing a warlock in 4E, and I, I think her standard like attack is like something called like our, our Eldritch Blast. And so she was like, I used my Eldritch Blast and I knocked the rock off the side and blah, blah, blah. And we had a rules lawyer coming at her on Twitter. Eldritch Blast doesn't have any penetrative force. You can't use Eldritch Blast to move something. And I'm like, says who? And they're like, this rules lawyer on Twitter. I'm like, tell him to go eat a bag of, what'd you say earlier, Mark? Fire? Fire. fire. He's going to eat a bag of fire. Okay. <laughs> like, I was like, you don't get to tell me what we get to do in our game. This is a funny moment. I'm not going to tell them that they can't now do the thing that they just spent two right. hours. And when it's a cinematic thing. Yeah, like, you know, like, like this is this is something that players will be talking about for years after that, how awesome that was. And you know what? They still do because right, as yeah. soon as the thing went off the side of the mountain, they, they forgot the fact that mountains have crags on it. And so it ripped the entire underside of the rock out. So this thing took off of the air and its entire gut spilled out over the countryside. So there's this giant bloody trail <laughs> leading halfway across this island. Everybody could see where they were going now, um, but it worked, you know? And I was just like, you know, like who comes up with this, players? You know, so right and but that's yeah, the thing yeah. like like and this is this is goes back to like the the gming and the interaction of the storytelling element right. a, a, another gm might have said there's no rule for this so i will forbid it from being done right or it's an automatic failure yeah but that doesn't make it fun right yeah. that doesn't make for an, an an experience that people will remember and that like people will be excited about so that that's the burden of the gm because you're right it's a delicate balancing act and you and you could go on the side of because you make things so loosey-goosey some players feel undervalued right that their abilities you know are not being you know utilized correctly and that what made them special you know character wise like their abilities don't, don't matter but mm-hmm. but yeah i mean like 
but that is like something to worry about. Like, and like I say, the, the thing though, is if you have an issue, unless it's super duper egregious, wait until a break or at the end of the session to bring it up with the GM. Don't derail mm -hmm. the whole game over something that might be a simple conversation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, to have after the fact. And, and, you know, your GMs are learning too, also all the time. So like sometimes somebody well, will just yeah, take it under advisement and make sure that they, you know, incorporate your feedback. So like, don't, I wanted I wanted to bring that up. This the age we're in is is truly a renaissance in that there are more resources than ever available to new players and GMs. Uh, uh, hundreds of hours of really good practical advice. Thousands of hours of games being played by professionals. Uh, who uh, all of whom have different styles and uh, no two are really doing it the, the same way. You know, when we were coming up, we made our own language. Actually, most of the vocabulary was driven out of Dragon Magazine because it was the most widely read thing that everybody had. It was our internet back then. And uh, now there's a whole uh, new lexicon of, of, of language to describe these things that's that's come out of video games it's come out of improv theater it's come out of uh, it's come out of therapy there's just a oh, yeah. ton of stuff and um so you know if you have a if you have a concern about the way that you know you think a game should be run or if you're not sure you know how to how to handle a certain situation the, uh google you don't even have to have google foo you just have to be able to like Type five words that 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 summarize what you think you need, and 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 you can you can be inundated with information about it. Sure. So, it's not uh, it's 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 not too hard to to navigate around that stuff anymore. Not like it used to be. I I think most of the the attention, rightfully so, the last few years has been focused on inclusivity, and uh, making sure that people are welcome and that the the space is uh, convivial and uh things like that you know um and and granted it's stuff that we didn't do back in the 80s because we just didn't have there, there wasn't enough of us you know kind of doing it but now you know as soon as san diego you know became you know international as soon as gen con you know moved out well actually when gen con was in milwaukee it was out, absolutely insane you know there was there was all this there were all these gamers banging into each other and i you know again i quickly realized i people don't play the way i play and i don't think i'm any sort of maverick or anything like that but just play styles are very very different and it's very possible to run into people that um that that have a completely different idea of what their you know baseline D D experience is the guys who burn character sheets when Oof. when they die is a great example you know, uh, that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, A, I, I don't know how you got there, but that's crazy. And then, and then B, the very notion that they wouldn't even need to explain yeah. it to you because it's just assumed that you've picked that up by the transitive property of being at the table is irritating. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, think we're, I think we're all past that thanks to, you know, uh, multiplayer gaming online and you know, th there's enough connectivity now that we don't have to uh, deal with that too yeah. much. 
Uh, although rules, rules, uh, rules, lawyer, gonna rules, lawyer. Always, you know? uh, always. By God, if he can't do it on, on at his table, he will find a uh, a live stream on Twitter. To yeah, do there that. are board games where people rules lawyer, where sometimes people have house rules and stuff, and it's just like you can't play that way because it says right here. You know, yeah, there's that cat that way. plays Monopoly. You can't, you know, what is it? Free? <laughs> well, what is, everybody does that thing if you go to jail or whatever it is, or free parking, you get all the money in the the chest or whatever. Like, there's that collect. There, yeah, you don't. That's not in the Monopoly. Show me where it's written in the rules. Right. And it's like wow. <laughs> Oh, you're taking this way too seriously um but you know do you guys really feel that D is limiting yeah uh i'm curious sorry okay. <laughs> like like no I'm, I'm i'm really genuinely curious i think fifth edition is the most loosey-goosey DD of all uh i love it because i get to rewrite whatever i'm doing situation i, I will funny. say the my first experience with DD, which is funny because it was in the 2000s was with ad and d and that was like insane and especially since i didn't have access to the book it was kind of just like here's the rules on player creation read this in five minutes and make a character that was like made yeah. no sense i still don't get why i rolled high sometimes and low other times and what is thaco uh, i don't know <laughs> It was Thaco. Thaco yeah. was the bane of all existence, man. Oh my lord! Once it got to three point five, to me, like three point five made complete sense. Like all the D twenty three point five stuff. Like I was like, I get it. Like and and since there were so many systems that used it, it was able. You were able to play Star Wars and Babylon Five right. and other stuff that all used that same system. And like I love the three point five D twenty rules well, you know what's funny is you know we're, we're talking about how restrictive or unrestrictive certain systems are because i came from an unrestrictive game background by doing like you know storyteller systems where literally mm -hmm. like the last thing you want to do is roll the dice if possible um when i got to stuff like you know third edition or fourth edition or even fifth edition you know i still apply that here so i don't feel it's restrictive i feel like they codify the combat but then as soon as I get away from combat, I'm like, whatever, you know, like we just go on our own way. Like one thing I will never do, and I, I never did it when we did D10 systems, and I refuse to do it, is confirming a crit. If a player rolls a natural 20, there is no reason on this God's green earth that you should take away that person's feeling of empowerment by saying, confirm that bad boy for me, please. Uh-uh, no. What's, I don't, so it, what's in third edition, and I believe they still had it in fourth edition. I don't know if fifth edition still does it because I don't even look for confirmed crit rules. I just use my own crit rules. Is when you roll a natural 20, um, you automatically hit. But in normal situations, a crit allows you to double the damage. But the only time you can double is if you roll a second time to confirm that even without the 20, you would have still hit them. Yeah. I remember that. You had to confirm. Yeah, it's called the confirm crit. It's garbage. Yeah, it's at the 3.5 rules. You can go and, look and it And they up. took it's out critical fumbles. So yeah, my table, I do 20 is an automatic crit and a one is an automatic fumble. And everybody right. loves it because yeah, like the ones and the 20s matter. Like yes. people like, and people love the fumbles. Like, yes. you know, like you just shot like, like the guy next to you with your crossbow because as you were pulling it out, you shot him. Right. And, you know, it's never enough damage to kill anybody. You know, you take four damage or whatever. Right. You know? Every, it's funny. There's some ribbing, you know, people like kind to make fun of them for a while yeah like like i have all right i just i, I know we I, we gotta go soon but i just want to tell this story so so if anyone's familiar with the gamers movies they are great because they like are so real for situations at the table and one of the jokes in the first gamers movie it's the guy with all the high stats who can't roll to save his life right i, I have that guy at my table he has created the perfect mechanical fighter character like this is this is all the stats you'd want for your fighter dude has like 50 weapons on him but he's strong enough to carry him and it's fine dude rolls ones like nobody's business 
Bears, and it has become the biggest show. This big burly guy covered in weapons head to toe, and he's always hurting himself, hurting comrades, whatever. And it's funny. He loves it. Like he started just laughing too and throwing up his hands just because it's so comical. My wife, on the other hand, rolls twenties like nothing. Like we've switched out dice. Like people are like that. You've got a loaded die. You know, like, there's no way. We're switching out dice and stuff. She just rolls 20s like nothing. Her dwarf cleric is, like, mowing through monsters. And it's so funny because our fighter is actually deferring to her to take out the big monsters. And again, it's funny. Everybody loves it. But it's it's one of those things that just happens. Some people are good at rolling and some aren't. It should just be luck. But, you know, like, random, but it's not. Here's my curse, Nathan, um, especially for D&D. I am magnificent at rolling to hit. I can hit anything as a DM, as a player. I will knock you around, but my damage will always be a one or a two. Always. It, I, I, oh, I, today, I was rolling. I got a plus five damage modifier, and I was rolling ones. All I was doing was six damage all day today, man. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't roll a two to save my life, you know, but I can hit you. You know, so literally I'm playing this character, he, part barbarian, part monk. And so, you know, she's literally like, you know, she's beating somebody up with a, an axe and then she goes and she does pummels them with her fist and stuff. And it's all just five, six, five. But she's doing so many hits in a round that she's able to be effective. But I'm just like, dear Lord, if I could actually roll like a four, oh my God, I rule the board. But, you know. You so. should try a system where you don't roll to hit and roll damage separately. Yeah, but I like rolling the dice. <laughs> but you know what? I blame this particular dice. Good plug. Good plug. I, I, I do like these dice though because these particular dice are metal dice that my wife got for me. They're mm-hmm. um they're 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 red, white, and blue. They're called and Nathan, you might have to bleep this. They're called America's Ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love these dice, so I will always use the wife uh, the the dice my wife got me because yeah. I, I love using those. Um, yes. so, so, so for people listening to this, what's really funny about this situation right now is we were talking ahead of time, and we were like, two hours is enough to cover all the stuff that we want to talk about. Nah. Um, no, no, it's not. We 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 got about there, there were still like several more questions that I had for us to talk about. Whoops! <laughs> but we've come to the end of our time here, and uh, I, I think we need to go. Before but, we go, we. T- told them that we would talk about the story of splitting the party at the beach at the beginning of the show and we didn't tell them the story okay if you were smart you would save it for do, part do you want to say that yeah i want to say it for part two i mean if you guys are cool with it i mean it won't be like next week or anything but let's like come back you know in a month or two and record a second like episode because i i like the energy here i like what we're all bringing here and and yeah it's just a time issue here and i can i can do it sooner than a month i you know <laughs> I've got uh, I've got no no burdens on my time right Aww. now. No, I understand, but Sean's got Dragon Con coming up. Kimmy's life is very busy, you know. Like I, I definitely want to respect, you know, everybody's you know time uh, factors. Right. So, and and yeah. we have a Flash episode coming up in a couple weeks. That's true. That, we do oh we do have God. the Flash episode also to talk about. So <sighs> yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So yeah. Well, I- I'm available. All right, yeah, you no, no, but yeah, I definitely want to do this again because yeah, I, I definitely want to talk, especially since we haven't even talked about the fact you're all content creators, yeah. and so I wanted to get into that too after we got through a little background. So, um, but yeah, for now, uh, why doesn't everybody say goodbye and let people know where they could find you online? So uh, let's start with you, Sean. 
uh, yeah, well, um, thanks for having me on, Nathan, and uh, hope everybody has a great one. And go play some role playing games. Grab a game. What, grab one that just grabs your attention and sounds cool, and just grab it. Don't look at it. I don't care if it's D and D. Go find like an old school Albedo game or something. Just grab something and see what it is. Yeah, do you remember Albedo, the sci-fi, you know, anthropomorphic animals? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, the, caveat, no Palladium games, please. No Palladium. Just skip. Just Nobody needs to do the percentile system. I swear, it's terrible. <laughs> um, but thank you for having me on here. Uh, uh, talk to you guys next time. If you want to come find me online, feel free to do so. You can find me at Z, which is P-N-E-U-M-A-Z. And you can also look up what me and my wife do uh, when we go to uh, conventions. That's going to be pop cycled at the various social medias, Facebook, all that good stuff, and uh, even on Twitch. So again, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. And uh, Mark, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, as always, I like this uh, far better than I probably should have. Um, I can be found indolently uh, tweeting on Twitter at Finswake, and you uh, really can hit me up on Facebook where I do most of my social media because I'm a Luddite. Uh, I have uh, just started a new um, page for uh, Human Gorilla Creations, if you want to come uh, follow that, that's where Gobsmack uh, is is going to be published out of, and where the forthcoming Polite Society RPG will be uh, located as well. So you can follow Human Gorilla Creations and get updates, and the occasional uh, game and pulp related tomfoolery. All right, and Kimmy, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Yeah, I was confused. I did a lot of this at the beginning, but I'll do it again. Um, you can find me at Golden Lasso Girl on Twitter and Instagram um, and Facebook. Uh, Golden Lasso RPGs is my like official like gaming company Twitter. Um, I tweet all the other stuff on the other account too, but that's like if you don't want all the cosplay and opinions, go to Golden Lasso RPGs. Um, and yeah, GoldenLassoGames.com is where all my games that I design are, um, I have two that I'm currently designing, two that are, one that's being shipped and one that's out already. Um, and then uh, happyjacks.org is where you can find my podcast slash streaming network that I manage um, with a bunch of my friends. Um, and we play a bunch of games every week and a bunch of different systems. It's lots of fun. And if you wanna pick up a new game, you can pick up one of mine if you want instead of the old ones <laughs> pick up a new one what am i just I? like i just like shouting out really old random obscure games yeah. because like you know i love finding those those were always <laughs> seriously like i used to go into the bookstores back when we had them you know mm -hmm. and i would just go digging through the most random obscure games i'm like oh this yeah. looks like fun i'd buy it and, and read through mm -hmm. it and I'm like oh my god this is garbage and i love it you know? sky realms of jewelry well, for, for, for part two we're going to talk about some of those like things that you that you've played that you're like this is this is really cool if you can get a hold of it so um yeah got some shit so there. yeah <laughs> um, but yeah sean mark and kimmy thank you for so much for being on the show thanks thank for having me and that's it for our rpg episode we hope that you liked it. We hope that you're excited for the two other ones that are coming. We've actually recorded one of the two already, and I'm hoping that we're going to record the third one very soon. But you can let us know all of that in a variety of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a message on any of the episodes there. You can also go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also tweet to us or go on our Instagram, both of which are at 42cast. 
You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. With Apple Podcasts, it really does help because the more reviews we get, the more that we get promoted in searches. And we would really like to get to the top of those lists if possible. So please do what you can. If you got an Apple account, please leave us a review. I also want to let everybody know about the ESO Network Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO Network. It's a way of helping all of the shows on the network. There are different tiers that give you different perks based on how much you're able to give. Some of them give you access to early podcast episodes. Some give you access to exclusive podcast episodes. The highest tier, I believe, gives you access to two different ESO Network exclusive podcasts. So check that out. If you're able to contribute, we'd definitely appreciate it. You can find me on two other podcasts. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to buy the episodes to follow along with us because we explain everything that happens in the story that we're reviewing in the episode itself. So if you just want to hear our banter, you can do that. You'll definitely get more out of it if you do follow along with the episodes, though. So if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. And then there's also Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also joined by Joe, Corey, and Ashley, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning also. So that's all the movies, of course, but also TV shows, novels, comics, any kind of media that's actually set in the Star Wars universe. We review the media, but we also talk about the expanding universe of Star Wars and what the perception of Star Wars is and the characters and how that grows and changes over time. So if that sounds interesting to you, check that out. So far, I have no plans for this year as far as conventions or anything like that. Definitely going to appear at Chicago TARDIS, even though those plans aren't really firmed up. But other than that, I don't know that we're going to make any other convention appearances just because COVID is still a thing. And there's nothing that's really jumped out and grabbed me yet. Now, this year, C2E2 and Fan Expo, which is what Wizard World turned into, the Fan Expo in Chicago are both going to be in the summer. So depending on their guest lineups, I might be interested in going to one of those two cons. I definitely won't do both of them because they're so close together time-wise. But just keep listening to this space. I'll announce if I'm going. I'm still really annoyed that they got Giancarlo Esposito like at the last minute at C2E2 last year, which was in December. And it's like, oh, a week before the con, after I decided I'm not going, Oh, you're going to have Giancarlo Esposito. Ah, so annoying. And I'm probably not going to get another chance to see him anytime soon, but that would have been something that probably would have convinced me to go if they had booked him months earlier and I knew that he was going to be there. I, I probably would have gone to C2E2 just to see him. But anyway, we'll find out what's going to go on there. But yeah, so that's a wrap for this episode. Join us back next week when Sadie Miller will be joining us. That's right, the daughter of Elizabeth Sladen, who played Sarah Jane Smith, will be joining me to talk about her mother and also talking about the fact that she is now playing Sarah Jane in the Big Finish audio dramas with both the Third Doctor and the Fourth Doctor. And so we talk about all of that. It was a really good interview. I got to know a little bit about Elizabeth Sladen, who unfortunately I never had a chance to meet and got to know quite a bit about Sadie Miller as well. And so come back next week to check that out. And until then, this is Nathan signing off.
You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.